Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, episode number 43. And thanks so much for being here. I am here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. And if you're a first time listener, thank you so much for tuning in and I really hope you get a lot from this episode and go back and check out some of our previous episodes. There's a lot of good info in there. Um, But today's episode is really cool. It's been asked for by the listeners basically so I am pretty excited to get today's show on the go. But first of all if you want to find out more about the MTB Tribe podcast you can visit us at mtb-tribe.com. You can also visit us on socials Instagram is at MTB Tribe and Facebook at MTB Tribe. So do that, please. And if you're listening to the show via iTunes or Stitcher, please leave a review. I really, really appreciate it. Five stars is always the best, of course, and sharing with friends always works and helps the show get seen and just makes my job a little bit more entertaining. So thanks so much for that. So let's get on to today's show. Now, I was asked by a number of our listeners about how to best go about preparing yourself for racing in an enduro. Mainly off the back of our other interviews regarding racing, and if you get into our bike episode catalogue, you'll be able to listen to those. So when I had Amanda, a.k.a. Wolfgirl MTV, on the podcast a few weeks ago, it dawned on me that Alex, her boyfriend, would be the perfect person to ask because Alex has been racing on the downhill scene since a young age, but has now set his focus on the enduro scene. So Alex is currently travelling around Europe in his motorhome with his girlfriend Amanda Dexter. And if you want to hear Amanda's episode, you can check that out. It's episode number 41. Um, and they're, they're going around Europe in their motorhome. They are racing and chasing the Enduro World Series and filming it all for their YouTube channel, Wolfpack Adventures. So I caught up with Alex, got his insights into everything you need to know about entering an Enduro and how to be best prepared, compete and so much more. And Alex is such a cool guy, you know, and really open about how the whole thing works. So we we take it from the beginning, like how you register for an, an enduro race, what races you can enter, if you need a license, where to get a license, how much it costs, all that kind of stuff that's normally left out. We talk about fitness levels. We look at training and how it can best work for you we talk about traveling and what equipment you kind of need and also the mental aspect of racing an enduro especially if you're a privateer like alex so we go into all that there and we also talk about enjoying yourself and what to expect to get out of an enduro race so it's one of those things i think once you do it you get bitten by the bug and then you just keep going and keep going and enter more and more races um so it was a real good insight from alex it was great to get him on the show to chat about this and um it was a really entertaining episode i really enjoyed speaking to alex because i don't know a lot of this stuff myself so it was an eye-opener for me as well so before i keep chatting for two or three days let's get alex holokua on the show I hope I pronounced his surname correctly. And welcome, Alex, to the MTB Trip Podcast. 
Hi Alex, how are you doing? Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. Thanks very much for coming on. How's things with you there this evening? It's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm happy to be on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. And um, where are you at at the minute? I know you and Amanda are on the road there. Yeah, so we are currently, well, you could say we got here a bit early actually, but we're actually at the venue for the fourth round, I think it is, of the Enduro World Series, which is on the border of Slovenia and Austria, which in a place called Jamnica or Petzen. So that's where we are residing for the next week or so. Very cool. And you were saying it was super warm there today? Oh, yeah. It's been like, it, it, it's been about 36, 37 degrees here today, like really humid. And then like within the past couple of hours of recording this with you, it's just been like an absolute massive manic thunderstorm. So it's, it's quite nice, actually. Like it's just the rain we've been waiting for to cool the whole place down. Yeah, cool. And, and what would you do on a day like that today, bike-wise? Would you go out? Would you cut runs short? What What would you do? What you mean if the temperature was so hot, or if the thunderstorm came when we were yeah, out? Yeah, so hot. No, it's just being so hot there. Um, I, we'd probably still end up going out, but um, I don't know if the ride would usually be as long as um as it usually would, just because of the heat. Um, uh, obviously with the dog as well, so we can't go out for too long a ride when it's so hot because we make sure he's all right. Unless he comes with us, then we've got to make sure we've got like lakes or rivers on the way round so we can keep him cool, sort of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. sounds good. Um, and you're you're mainly on the show, and I have to say thanks to Amanda, your girlfriend there. Um, probably known more so for being Wolf Girl MTB. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we had her on the podcast there a couple of episodes ago. But yeah, thanks to Amanda for getting you on because I reached out to her and asked you if you'd be keen to come on and chat about how to prepare for an enduro race because. We've been asked by a few of the listeners how to go about that and if I could get somebody on to chat about that. So um, I know you have a wee bit of background in that and everything. So thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And I know this is going to be an interesting chat. Yeah, no worries. Ironically, you you were talking about Amanda when we were driving. We've just had a week relaxed, actually. We had a week down in Slovenia at these uh, real nice lakes. And on the drive over here, this morning she's like oh my, my podcast has been released that i did with gareth on the mtv tribe show um so i was like oh should we listen to it in the cut in, in the van she was like no uh, anyway i went ahead and put it on and uh within five minutes she had her own earphones in because she hated the sound of her own voice but i really enjoyed listening to it. There's some real good insights that you know from an outsider's perspective i think it, yeah. people would be able to draw quite a lot of value from but yeah it's um that was quite a funny funny moment of today I, you know, nobody, nobody likes listening to their own voice. I have done over 40 episodes now and I have to listen to each episode maybe a couple of times minimum just to edit and do whatever I have to do and make sure stuff's uploaded properly and all. And I still hate the sound of my own voice. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't get any better. (laughs) Your own voice just sounds horrendous. Not yours. I mean, everyone thinks their own voice sounds horrendous. Yeah, it's weird. But, you know, it's funny because you hear yourself in a completely different way. But yet, the you know, your friends and whoever listened to it, that's the way you sound. So it sounds no different to them, but it just sounds completely different to yourself. I know. Do you know what? Someone actually taught me the science behind this as well. I'm not going to go into this because I will bore your listeners to death. But there's something about some frequencies and inside your body that makes it like when you, when you're talking, you think you sound one way, but in 
in actual real realize realizing that you sound completely different. So if you record yourself on video, <laughs> you sound completely different. Um, but yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about bloody no, no. frequencies and <laughs> hating the sound of our own voices. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Cool. All right. So let's chat about how to get involved in enduro racing then and. There's a few different elements behind this I want to chat to you about. So I want to kind of take it from almost a complete beginner's kind of look at it on how you go about doing stuff and that. So first of all, let's talk a wee bit about how to get involved and how to enter a race as such. Because that's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a mind boggle because there's so much info out there, but there's nothing really that specific. So tell us from your perspective then. What are you racing? Where are you, and what kind of discipline are you racing in at the minute? Then, okay, so yeah, we'll break this down to a few points. So, if you, I'm currently racing as a privateer, doing the majority of the EWS races this year, which is, I think, is probably the highest level enduro race you can race on a mountain bike. Okay, so that's uh, that's the same as Sam Hill and all them guys, is it? Yeah, so they they're in the same category, if you like. Okay. Um, yeah, and then obviously filtering down from that, there's all sorts of um, continental races, European events, and then obviously you go into like national races and local like sort of regional races. So there's like a whole spectrum of uh, you know endurance, enduro kind of events that you can enter. Mm-hmm. So you know wherever you're coming into the sport, this might sorry this might cross over a bit in terms of how you get into racing and. Um, and whatnot but yeah i mean whatever level you're coming into enduro say let's say we're talking from complete beginner um there are so many regional events that you can go and find you know it's absolutely booming at the minute the enduro scene you can literally go on i think there's a website called roots and rain which has like a which like has a calendar for literally um you know if we're talking to your uk listeners for for instance there's like literally they list on that website every single um mountain bike event that you can literally go and enter and you can split it up into categories so you can go and find enduro events you can go and find downhill events you can go and find uplift days um you know it really is like it's so it's a lot easier than people think like it seems to be maybe a bigger barrier than uh it actually is because you just need to literally find a location and there'll be a link there you go click it and find the details out about it and then it'll give you a breakdown of you know what the place is like um what the the race is like and and so forth and you can just enter Mm -hmm. from there and with enduro being like i think enduro is so um as a discipline it's so easily accessible for literally 99 percent of everybody who has a mountain bike or wants to get into mountain biking um it's just absolutely amazing Compared to, say, downhill, for example, um, downhill, you could say that's like the Formula One of mountain biking, which sometimes people look at that and, yeah, it looks really cool and something that someone wants to try. But in, in re- you know, in reality, it's like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm fast enough. I don't know if I can, you know, buy a downhill bike and go and do X, Y, and Z, whereas enduro, you can literally get a bike and you can literally pedal out your front door and go and do quote unquote enduro. You can ride up a mountain and then ride back down the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much where it starts for most people, I think. 
Yeah. Um, so the downhill stuff is known as the UCI. That's the World Cup stuff. Yeah. So, okay. I, I mean, I, yeah, I actually, actually just saw an interesting thing on the, on the internet before saying that the UCI are going to start playing a role in Enduro, which is going to oh, be really? quite interesting. Yeah, I've just literally seen that in the past 20 minutes, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, yeah, we'll see how that pans out, though. Yeah, okay. Now, so how do you enter those races then? So is it is it as simple as going onto a website, filling in a registration form, paying your fee and showing up? Or do you need to qualify for races? Do you need to be a certain standard, let's say, before you can go into one of the EWS races? Yeah, so let's say, so some of the smaller races, the regional races, you don't technically need a license for them. You can just let you pay your money, turn up and do the race. Um, if the race is associated with, like, um is a, say a slightly bigger race you may need to have like a british cycling license which you can get obviously online which basically says you're part of the british cycling community and you're you know sort of fit and healthy to race your bike mm. is uh, that done through your club alex you, is that you could, well, i think anybody can um sign up and get a membership and a race license through british like a british the british cycling governing body website real simple to do right um, I'm not. I, I don't quote me unless I'm not too sure if it's like um, it's like you need them for all enduro races. But then, obviously, if you start racing at higher level, say national races in the UK, or you go to Europe or America, wherever you go, then it starts getting a bit more complicated in terms of needing like a race, a, you know, a, obviously a proper race license to say you mm. can race outside of the UK. And then, obviously, at some races, you do need you do need um, to qualify for the events as well. So say the EWS, um, there are certain some circumstances where you have to have qualifying points to get into those rounds. Right, okay. And to find out that information, would it be as easy just going on to the website of the competition you're entering to find out what's required? Yeah, so easy as going onto the website of the competition or the series you want to enter and it'll tell you the criteria you've got to meet in terms of wanting to do that race so say if you want to, the, you want to do an EWS as like a long-term goal you'd go onto their website and it would tell you how many like qualifying points that you would need to do the race series and just be yeah so then obviously you can go and find races out there that are labeled as Endura World Series qualifier events where you can pick those points up at Okay, all right. So it, it's all pretty simple, pretty straightforward, but you kind of need a plan of action almost before you would kind of just throw yourself into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, yeah, you kind of need to know where you want to go, what your end goal is almost before you start. Yeah, yeah, I would go with that. Right, okay. So um, how about insurance then? How does that work? Insurance? Uh, is that a whenever, personal thing? Or? Well, whenever I've raced in... <coughs> Whenever I've raced in the UK, I've never actually taken out any, you know, extreme insurance, say, because you're, t- you're generally covered under the NHS. Um, however, some people have, I know, have taken out like, um, I can't remember what the insurance you would call it, but basically, if you were self-employed, basically, and you say you broke your arm racing down or riding your mountain bike, then this company would obviously pay out a certain amount, like a fee to cover you whilst you were off recovering. Um, when it comes to insurance 
racing overseas for me and Amanda, we've basically got like quite a high level travel insurance that that ha- just just so happens to cover us for racing certain mountain bike events. But um, there's a couple of events, mainly mainly mass start races, so like the the, the Mountain of Hell or the Mega Avalanche. There's a lot of insurance companies that won't cover you to do that race. You have to have specialist insurance. Um, some companies do cover you, but there's there's there aren't that many anymore just because of the, I guess they see it as quite a dangerous event, if you like, racing, well, I suppose it is really, racing a 1,000 people on mountain bike race down a mountain. Um, mm. Yeah, so, so you have to have you know, even higher-level insurance again for that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's talk a wee bit about cost involved um, because I did see a thing online there recently about the cost of the licenses to enter some of the races going up and stuff. So what kind of, do you know off the top of your head how much a license is? A license would probably cost you, if we're talking, um, if if I'm going to compare British, so if you bought, went to go and buy a British cycling license off their website, you'd buy, a, you'd have to buy a membership first and then buy a race license. And it would probably come to probably cost you less than a hundred pounds for the year. And there's all sorts of perks and benefits to different levels you can buy, um, depending on, you know, which races you want to buy, which race you want to enter, sorry. Um, yeah, there's there's all sorts of, you know, benefits to paying more or you know, whatever. But then there's obviously, take the Enduro World Series again. Um, they have, they've tried to set up, they've, well, successfully set up their own, I don't know if you want to call it an entity or not, but to race their uh their series or a race there's an option there to buy a membership buy an ews membership and obviously you get certain perks with that in terms of um like if you wanted to race it long term you'd have to buy an ews membership because without a membership you cannot collect ews points which is pretty useless so if you were just wanting to do the odd one or two races then i'm not too sure if you actually need a license uh, sorry a, a membership as such but if you wanted to look at racing long term and you wanted to do the full series etc and you want to collect points then a membership is pretty um beneficial and you can race without one if you want to collect points yeah okay makes sense yeah and how about the cost of entering a race i know it'll vary but roughly what's the average price yeah it varies i mean the prices keep going up and down i guess but uh, mainly up <laughs> like uh, enduro like if you went to go and do like a, a national or regional enduro race they, they range anywhere between about 50 and 70 quid for the weekend which is um you know some some races you get some absolute like amazing stages to race you get fed you get all sorts which is great um but then if you look at the enduro world series it's uh slightly different again like uh you know you're probably looking at about 150 to 200 pound per yeah. per event okay um but with the only thing with those is that obviously when you turn up like i at first sight when i entered the aws the first time around i was like christ that's quite steep because obviously i've never been used to paying that much for a race but as soon as you turn up you know you can almost see where your money is going because you're literally catered for from the moment you get there I'm not saying that they provide you the accommodation or anything, but you just have that feel that it's so much more professional and you can just get a good feel and a sense of what you're actually paying for and where your money's going. Yeah, yeah, okay. So just a more professional set up, you're catered for a wee bit better probably. 
Yeah, just like that, and the venues that these places, these um, the competitions go to, is phenomenal. Like, uh, you know, the the amount of places, brand new places that EWS has been to in the past couple of years is amazing. It just takes, you know, mountain biking to a whole new level in terms of getting out there and seeing all these new places in mountain biking, which you probably would never have heard of outside of a race or if you weren't invited to go. Or, you know, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so let's break it down a wee bit and let's look a wee bit at your costing because I want to chat to you as well about being a privateer and what that means. But how many races are you attending when you're out in Europe there? So when we're out, we've been we've been out in Europe now for three months, I think, and we'll probably be here for another couple more um, before we go home for a short break. Um, and we've done. I think I'm entered into three EWS races so far and potentially a fourth one. Um, oh, no, one, two, th- no, sorry. I'm entered in three EWS races so far and potentially another two more, which is, um, yeah, which, is, which would be great. And then mm-hmm. obviously around those races, um, we've been looking at the calendar and trying to see like where, you know, where, what can we go to that's feasible? What can we go to that actually works with our schedule? Because, sometimes races aren't feasible even though they're on the calendar you might have to drive in the wrong direction to where you're wanting to go to get this mm-hmm. race so sometimes we've, we've knocked races on the head because they just don't fit in with the, the the route we're going or um not that we've got a set route or anything but if we've got some main races and main places you want to be we sort of like almost fill in the gaps with races and places to visit so you know some some races we've just got to knock on the head like i say because they're just too far out of the way um yeah. we've been we've spent a few we've spent a few weeks in slovenia just because it wasn't too far too far fetched to where we wanted to you know to this next ews and that's why amanda and well, myself actually i really got too excited and we raced last weekend in a in near maribor which was fantastic like um yeah have you got a budget set aside for entrance fees to the races? Do you know how much you'll have spent by the end of your five months or so? Um, I don't have... I wouldn't say I have a budget as such for racing fees or anything. Um, I'd probably say that... It, because we're not, we're, we're not doing this as, like, two, quote, tourists. We're, like... Obviously, we're living on the road and earning, earning our living... Mm-hmm. mobilely so um with I, th- I think with both of us we don't actually have a set budget of how much we're spending on racing um but i think we just you know proportion our money out and put a percentage towards it i mean if it's going to go towards um making cool content or making either of us faster on a bike then we'll see how we can make it work and go to it and just yeah if we, it's something we both want to do then we'll we'll try and make it happen yeah okay cool so Let's talk, Alec, about you being about you being a privateer racer. Then, okay. so uh, tell us about that and what does that involve? So, being a privateer racer means basically you are to an to a level self funded. Um, you attend all the races off your own back. So, um, if you are obviously supported by a big team they'll obviously pay for your entries, they'll pay for you to get to the races, they'll pay for all your expenses, etc., etc. Uh, we don't get any of that. We literally, you know, obviously we get our bike supplied, the kit supplied, etc. But we still have to pay our own way, we still have to 
pay for accommodation, get to the actual events, uh, fund ourselves when we're there and make sure everything's catered for off our own backs. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what would be the main difference then between yourself as a privateer and say a paid pro rider? Difference in terms of what would they be getting that you don't, you know, would they be getting accommodation paid for? Would they be getting, you know, does the team support help? Does training help facilities? You know, what what are the difficulties with being a privateer that maybe a pro rider doesn't really have to put up with? Is there anything like that? Everything. <laughs> That's the easy answer to your question. Literally everything. Like, um, <clears throat> you'd be surprised how much mental energy being a privateer takes away from you and having to think about every single aspect of racing. So, mm um take just one ews event um like i would be quite content with doing just the ews series in a year and no other races now it's only like five or six and i'm sorry i think there's eight races this year mm-hmm. which that's it sounds quite a lot but they take that much mental energy and and physical energy out of you but as as well as being a, as well as the actual race if you attend them as a privateer and you have to think about you know where you're going to park your motorhome if you've got one or a van or whatever, or if not, where you're going to stay in accommodation? How are you going to feed yourself? Um, is your bike going to be in perfect running order after each day, practice day and race day? Um, how to keep your body intact? Because that's obviously yeah. you endure the endurance, the endure world series race that I raced in Alargs, the which was my first one a few months ago was like a massive eye opener for me. It was probably the longest four days on a bike I've ever had. And it made me, it made me realize like one, how much these top boys put into like being at the top. But then it also made me realize the difference between like being a pro rider and going as someone like me who doesn't get all this pro support. Like being able to just get back from a practice day and just hand your bike to a mechanic and then just go off and you know just look after yourself or is it it, it, from an outsider's perspective it doesn't sound like much when you actually race and you get back from a big long day of practice and all you want to do is sit down and relax but yet you have to then cook your dinner and then you have to you know look over your bike and make sure it's all in working order It, it takes it takes so much more out of you and obviously energy management when it comes to these races are massive. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah, that's where the biggest advantage is coming as being a pro rider against a privateer, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. It's interesting because I was thinking about this and I was thinking about somebody coming into this, who's pretty new or pretty green. And I was trying to think, okay, so what are the things you wouldn't actually think about? Okay. There's, the physicality and we'll we'll chat about that but there's also the mental side of it which you've touched on a wee bit there but then people probably don't think about the mechanical side so i want to chat about that as well okay um because it's all things you're going to have to do there's no point in you going and entering an enduro race and you know you you break off your back derailleur in the first the first stage and you don't know how to put on a new one. You're kind mm-hmm. of snookered almost. So there's all <laughs> there's all those aspects. Um, so let's chat about them a wee bit. Um, so let's talk about how to prepare physically then. So I know when with social media 
and all the pros being on that constantly with everything they're doing. Like nowadays, the guys at the top level all do training off the bike as well and are obviously in, in great physical shape. What do you do off the bike to stay at the level you're at? Yeah, good question. Um, so over not so much now on the road, which is is um, over the over the winter time, like uh, you want to call it the off season, if you like. Um, I spent a lot of time training off the bike in the gym. Um, mm-hmm. Might not be some people. Some people don't like it. But I love I love training in the gym. Um, that helped me build a pretty pretty strong pretty strong base so i work with a coach as well this winter which is the first time for well i work one-to-one with a coach which which is my first experience as well which um Mm -hmm. i work with someone called simon hall from body composition coaching who is um he basically again having a coach just took all the guesswork out of everything so you know we worked on mainly just getting me stronger as a person because if you'd see me in person prior to this year like i'm not saying i'm uh, like a massive person even now but before i started training in the gym properly and looking after myself in terms of nutrition i was quite small and skinny which translated quite a lot onto the bike um you know i have i felt like i had a lot of bike skill but then to some level if you don't have um, if you aren't strong physically, then bike skill would only take you a certain, you know, it only take you so far. You mm-hmm. need to have like a combination of them both, in my, you know, in my opinion. So obviously we worked, we worked over the winter on that stuff, which helped massively. Um, and then when it came close to the season, it, it got, things got a bit more specific and we started doing um, more bike specific stuff in terms of sprints on the bike. Um, and then when we actually decide to so when we left and set off on our european trip um i pretty much stopped going to the gym altogether um in an, in an actual physical gym just because it, you know it's, it's quite hard to find on the road this is this is going to sound like an excuse but it's going to it's going to um it's hard to find a gym on the road like to find it's not hard to find a gym on the road there's gyms absolutely everywhere so in the end what we we did was we i found um i don't know if you've heard of like a they're called trx's it's like a it's basically like a suspension trainer which is basically um two almost like two straps probably about eight feet long and you can attach them to practically anything that hangs horizontally overhead and you can use them to trick you know to train with to do pull-ups off to do push-ups mm-hmm. with you can so that's just like a small piece of training equipment I use on the road as well as just some body weight workouts now just to keep, keep myself going. Um, but that's, that's probably happening about twice a week. Um, mm. depending on what, what races are coming up or whatever, because we literally spend, we, I'm finding now when we're away here, we're spending quite a lot more time on the bike, which is obviously great for making, um, bringing up aerobic fitness and bike skill and stuff, but um, still got to try and try and keep the strength in there as well where possible. Yeah. Um, it's funny cause I did see a couple of your videos and you were going into the car park and doing workouts and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but when you were working with your coach, um, was that a bike T 
tailored fitness program? Um, I wouldn't say the guy I worked with Simon. He's um, he knew the demands. He came from a gymnastic background. Um, he knew the demands that the sport placed upon me, but he wasn't exactly mm. a specific bike coach himself. Um, but by obviously by watching videos and stuff, like, he knew what I was was doing and wanted to race. So he could literally see what body parts were, you know, being used the most, and what we need to work on from there. So, you know, a lot of the program that a lot of the programming that he did for me was based on um, trying to move as many muscle groups as possible, you know, like doing big compound lifts, like deadlifts, chin-ups, pull-ups, press-ups, mm-hmm. just pretty much that's all these, all the movements that would translate over to to mountain biking. So a lot of um, unilateral work as well, which is like single leg and single arm movements. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I had a gentleman called James Wilson on the podcast way back early in the early days, and um, he's actually known as Bike James. He, <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard of him? Bike yeah, I've, I've had a. Well, ironically, I've had a training program off him. Yeah, yeah. So interesting because he used to coach Arn, train Arn Gwen and all. You know. Yeah, yeah. Back that's in what, the day, that's, that's what inspired me to get a, get a program off him actually. Right, cool. Well, I done his program. Um, really? Yeah, um, the all round. Yeah, all round MTB workout or something. I think that's all I've got. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? See, when I initially started, now I chat to him, you know, by email, so we keep in touch um, because he's wanting to know my feedback on it. But I come from, you know, I've surfed for years and I, you know, I've always trained, but that was. That workout was so different to anything I had ever done. Yeah. Um, but you see about, I thought it was too easy. A couple of weeks in, I was like, this is too easy. But you can understand why when you get into it a wee bit more. But I definitely seen a difference on the bike when I done that routine. Yeah, I know, I know exactly where you're coming from in terms of thinking it was or different or easy. Because I, if I'm honest with you, I took the approach i got that program and took the approach that i not not that i knew better but i almost like i thought i i thought i knew i I didn't didn't really feel right to be doing what he was teaching me and because i I had the mindset that going to the gym you have to be pushing yourself like to physical exhaustion do you know what i mean like so you'd be doing it was it was basically you go into the gym to try and lift as much weight as you can sort of thing but if you go through and use one of James Wilson's um, uh, mountain bike training programs, if he still has them on sale there, um, it's a lot. I think, if actually, to be honest with you, if you go and get any, follow any mountain bike strength training program now from most coaches, they'll be fairly similar to what James Wilson was teaching in terms of building a strong base of mobility um, and then working almost like a pyramid. So, mm-hmm. you know, you strengthen your, um, the power sort of aspects of it would be towards the tip of the pyramid that you'd be training towards the um wherever your peak in the season was um so it was like completely opposite to me and i almost didn't want to listen to him i was like this is this isn't right and and because i had that mindset obviously i just gave in and thought oh, no, i know better i'll get some, I'll, I'll just do what i'm used to doing just lifting as heavy as i can which yeah. is not if you want to specifically train to get better on a mountain bike that's not the way to do it no and i i found it similar and i had but i i stuck with him because i obviously had a good chat with him i 
the guy is unbelievably talented and intelligent when it comes to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a good friend that actually goes to the same gym as him and does. Um, okay, they do a martial art anyway. They both do a martial art, and Louis was telling me that James is just phenomenally strong, mm. so flexible. The man's just a mountain. Um, and you you would come out of doing one of his training sessions, 45, 50 minutes, and you would almost feel that you haven't really done anything. You you would have struggled to broke a sweat or something like that. But you see, on the mountain, on the bike, I was definitely riding better, faster, taking the compressions better, doing all that kind of thing. It was, it was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can understand why. Yeah. Um, so when you were at home and stuff then and going to the gym, how many times would you go to the gym a week? Uh, a week would probably be three, maybe four. Three, depending on what I was doing. Like my, my even though I don't really, I have quite a flexible working pattern. Um, I usually would go to the gym back at home on a Monday, Wednesday, and a Friday. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just basically alter, you know, a, a day in the gym and then a, a, a day to rest afterwards and so on and then we would ride at the weekend but it depends obviously it depends how it all pans out um some say some days it would be three some days it may only be two it depends how intense it was and what part of the, the season we were in or yeah mm-hmm. cool and then when you were on the bike would you have done any pacific kind of enduro training on the bike would you have done interval training or would you have done because James Wilson also does that. He does an on the bike thing and an in the gym thing. And um, I was trying to do his bike stuff as well. Um, but when you're out with me, it's, it's difficult, you know. So how would you get around that? And how would you train specifically to enhance your skills and stuff when you're on the bike? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, well, to be honest with you, any well, I if anyone who buys uh, invests in a one second, I just need to close these, close these blinds. We're getting some uh, mosquitoes inside. <laughs> there we go. Uh, right, so, yeah, in my eyes, anyone who invests in, in themselves and into a training program, they obviously are doing it for, a, well, I think they want to do it for a, a good reason, which um, when you're going out with mates and you are say you have a training program that you want to stick to. Um, sometimes it can be almost like being like holding your own, holding your own guns and just being like, look, I've got to do training or, you know, it's that famous saying that if something's important to you, you'll make the time for it, which is something I strongly believe in. Like if something isn't so important, you'll not make the time for it. So, um, you know, if mountain bike, what mountain biking was of importance to you, then, you'd most probably find the time to go to the gym or to do a sprint session or, you know, find time to prep your nutrition or look in their work and getting some good quality nutrition inside you. Um, Mm. Yeah. You know, for, say, a weekend warrior Mm -hmm. that's wanting to enter races more for fun or something like that, as far as fitness, do you think just doing what they do at the weekend is okay with that? would that carry over to be able to still enjoy themselves in an enduro race? Maybe not be fully competitive, but are just going for the social aspect. Do you still think that's okay to do? Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, 
I, I, barring whatever we've just talked about, if you aren't enjoying enjoyment and having fun, has to be the first thing. Like, because if you aren't having fun, the passion isn't there, and if that's not there, you you aren't going to stick it out, and you're not going to enjoy it, and you'll most probably give up and try and find something else, which is, you know, it's been my experience and probably many other people's who are listening to this. Um, but like I was saying before, to be good or have good you know to, to perform well on a mountain bike i think you have to have a mix of both bike skill bike handling skill strength mobility flexibility it's almost like an all-rounded package so yes like i know i know a fair few people that are um absolutely amazing on a bike in terms of bike handling skills but yet when it comes to strength then they don't have they don't have strength that'll to keep them up on their bike. So say if they they hit a big compression or they go off a jump slightly ski with, they haven't got the strength there, or like their body almost doesn't know how to recover from it. So mm-hmm. that's another thing to think about. But I think um, if we're talking from like uh, a weekend for a weekend warrior, then it wouldn't harm you know. Even just it doesn't have to be when when you say when you say you need to do if you want to get better on the mountain bike you need to train off the bike as well on the bike I think people get the wrong impression and think oh I've got to spend hours in the gym every week and I just don't have that time you know I'm working a nine to five job uh, riding on the weekends I just can't fit it all in but in hindsight like you could probably do uh, if you had a spare hour every week and split that hour up into three twenty minute slots like. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sorry, or something like that, mm. you would definitely build something of, like, you, you could build something really strong. You could you could build a much stronger athlete um, to make you, you know, that, that would translate over to your riding. Um, yeah, you don't have to be spending hours. Sure, like, if you look at, again, if you compare a weekend warrior or a private, not, so maybe not a privateer, but if you compare a weekend warrior to a pro racer, who is focused on racing and nothing else? Literally, their whole life is focused around racing. Like at the last EWS, I did quite a lot of riding around with Jerome Clements, and I was asking him a few questions about enduro racing and asked him why he stopped racing. And he basically said, if you are racing enduro racing or any racing, in fact, on a mountain bike, you have to be a hundred percent focused on just that. So it's you are literally either riding, you're training, or you're resting, or you're <laughs> you're eating. You're not like, mm-hmm. you know, sure you can go out and socialize and stuff, but that's almost like on the back burner because you're so focused on training and everything that is around that. Um, it's yeah, I mean, it depends which level when you want to take it to. Um, but I think a week for someone who just wants to have fun on their bike and do the odd race at the weekend. A small bit of training, an hour a week, probably wouldn't do any damage at all. Um, in fact, it'd probably save you time and <laughs> make you a lot better on the bike. Yeah, you know? and make you probably enjoy it a wee bit. More, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's another big thing. Like, a lot of people, when they hit plateaus, it, it can be because they've almost hit that plateau of bike skill. So they've, like, um, you know, they've reached a point where their body or their strength won't take them any you know they they won't take they won't go any further until they work on their strength and work on themselves mm-hmm. um so you know again on that front you can get frustrated when you hit plateaus and stuff and it can demotivate you 
But again, if you're getting stronger and you can almost see your progression, that's just going to make things more fun. You It's going to help you carry on and keep love for the sport. Yeah, because you, you hear you hear it quite a lot. Um, power to strength ratio, you know that being thrown out quite a lot. So you can still be quite lean and mean, as I like to call it, and be very good <laughs> on the bike because you're light, but you don't carry much body body fat as such. But you can still be strong and thin if you like. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely. Like if you look at. Um, like say if you look at some of the people I look up to, like Josh Bryceland or someone like that, um, he has got phenomenal bike skill, like absolutely phenomenal. But he's also real strong on the bike as well. Um, like, but you wouldn't if you look at him, you wouldn't you wouldn't instantly tell from my perspective, you wouldn't instantly tell that. Um, same with who likes of I'm just trying to think of somebody else off my head who's like who's really strong but doesn't actually you wouldn't think so off the top of your head. Um, who else at races enduro I know of um, pretty much if you look at most of the top guys they're, they're built for endurance and going for long distances and they look um, bar, bar a few exceptions there's a lot of them who have the same similar physique you know um, they are fairly lightweight but yet they pack a powerful punch in terms of they can they are strong and they are powerful mm-hmm. Um you know, if you can, and if you compare it to downhill riders who obviously aren't made for pedaling for four days solid, they're just made for all-out power and sprints for the four minutes. They've got a totally different makeup as well. Um, like if you look at someone like Giatha, and he's just like an absolute Greek god, if you ask me. He's just a machine. <laughs> like mm, you yeah. wouldn't see anything like him but you know if you if you compared him to an enduro racer they, they're two different breeds of um, athlete completely different breeds of athlete yeah interesting so uh, not only is their bikes very different but their body physique's very different exactly because they're you know they're made for doing different things uh, i'm not saying yeah. one can't do the other or vice versa but um one's obviously you know developing a body that's better for endure uh, that's more endurance based is is better for that sport like say for instance um my body type lends itself to endurance type sports i'm quite long lean and i don't know, I don't know what you call myself and i'm an ectomorph that's it an ectomorph so long <laughs> long length slim i find it hard to gain weight um and then you have other people on the other end of the scale who are you know much more quote chunkier if you like but more built for power and strength um mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. Now, just um, on a side note, if, is there anything else you would advise people to do training-wise um, or any other advice on that side of things if they're traveling? Because a lot of people do go away and travel now for a month and do that. So what gym equipment do you take with you? You, you mentioned your straps there. Is there anything else you would advise taking? Running shoes or anything, anything like that that would help? Yeah, so we... Oh God, sorry. We, we obviously we live in a motorhome. We've only got a certain amount of space, and anyone who's traveling is probably in the same boat. Um, so you can't be, you can't really be um, log, you know, lugging around kettlebells or dumbbells with you. So we bought um, a suspension trainer, which is what I was saying before, which is basically a, just basically two straps, which allows you to do a lot mm. of core training on, um, and a lot of basically all the fundamental movements, which is 
almost great for just maintaining um, you know a good physique when you're away um, and we've also got um, some I've got some red resistance bands as well which are really handy when you're and versatile when you're on the road because it just you can add intensity to intensity to a workout so easily um, and these things obviously take up no space and weigh next to nothing so they're fantastic just literally that's the two piece of equipment we've got as well as um, I've got some gym shoes and you have some gym kit that's literally it and a hat yeah. and a hat to keep the hair out of the way <laughs> <laughs> that's legit oh i've got you know and uh, i've got an app on my phone as well actually called i've been getting quite into um quite recently inspired by adam brayton actually who's um a pretty pretty fast downhiller he he he's got me into um as well as a couple of people have got me into a, a training program or training a way of training called crossfit which is basically yeah. it's a it's a style of training that is is fairly intense um but i i believe it crosses over to mountain biking perfectly so it's basically a workout with like a lot of workouts where you put yourself through you can exert yourself quite a lot um but i just think it translates over to mountain biking so well uh, in terms of like having to perform under like exhaust not exhaustion but when you're tired and obviously on a mountain bike that's real key when obviously when you're tired one of the things you want to try and stay and do is stay consistent and stay strong so this is what crossfit has well tried to teach me if you like is just staying staying strong um keeping your composure strong while you're going for a workout and that translates again over to the bike yeah, you know, it, it sounds like it would suit in the enduro thing very well. Yeah. You know, I suppose there's no point you being really strong and fit and technical on the first two or three stages when you've still another two or three stages to go and then everything goes downhill, mm. if, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I was speaking to, um, this isn't quite an interesting point, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm quite good friends with a, a guy called Greg Callahan who is... Um, yeah. Irish enduro rides, probably one of the. I'm yeah, not, I'm no not great, I think yeah. I'm not sure what number is in the world now. Um, and I listened to a podcast with him actually on. I think it was a downtime podcast. Is he like a rival of yours? No, 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 it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I think no, no. It's Chris. I think you call the fella. Does it? I don't know him personally, but um, yeah, yeah. No, Chris does good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he was talking about. Um, Greg was talking about training on that interview. I don't know if it was on there. I heard it, but. Greg was talking about when he went to a training camp in California at the start of this year with G. Atherton and a couple of other Red Bull athletes. And uh, when he was training for Enduro, they were doing, you know, shuttle runs up the hill. And, you know, you get driven off the mountain and then you get dropped off and you ride back down. And G. Atherton and the downers were literally getting off the shuttle and just setting off going down the track as you would. Greg Callahan, obviously training for Enduro, was emphasizing again this train fatigue so he would literally ride down the hill another 50 meters when he got dropped off at the shore and then do like a 50 meter sprint before he dropped into the track so he was almost riding a track uh, you know exhausted not, mm-hmm. not exhausted but he was you know not feeling 100 percent before he dropped in yeah. which is more it, that relates over to racing a lot more and obviously he was talking about how he would have to set his bike set up would be different to accommodate for that feeling because he's obviously not as composed on his bike if he was 100%. So that was quite interesting to hear. Yeah, I've actually heard that before. 
um, and that guys they won't set their bike up when they're feeling 100%. Yeah. Because when they get down the trail, halfway down the trail, they obviously aren't and then the bike the bike overreacts for physically what they can do or mentally what they can do yeah um so yeah they set their bike up a wee bit softer almost yeah i wouldn't say too soft but yeah like yeah enduro is a funny one like if you obviously if you're racing downhill um you can literally you can literally fine-tune your bike to such a point that it is perfect for the racetrack you're on but enduro because you're racing four or five maybe even more stages over a weekend and they could be different state you know different styles of stage different styles of riding you've got to almost balance the setup of your bike out to accommodate all the tracks so you could you know you could you don't really want to be setting your suspension up too soft on one stage that's you know say if you've got a, a track that suits soft suspension and then you've got another track that is really steep afterwards then you wouldn't really want too too soft a suspension going down that it's almost mm. trying to find a balance between all four you know the stages you're racing over the weekend um yeah but yeah like you're saying like again setting up your bike you know I'm not saying go and set up your bike when you're absolutely physically exhausted but yeah like setting up your bike <laughs> ever so slightly softer than you usually would um just to accommodate when you are starting to get fatigued starting to get tired and then you can yeah. still perform on your bike and still get that suspension going yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. So uh, that's a nicely done. Let's talk about the mental aspect of enduro racing then. So you obviously find it mentally draining. Um, so do you prepare for that in any way? Um, it's taken. You know what? It's taken me. I'm I'm safely at a point now where I can say I'm probably the ment like the most mentally strong I've been in racing in my whole life because from racing downhill from such a young age or not young age when I was like you know back in the day racing downhill I would place so much emphasis on the outcome and that would just ruin me completely so say if I was racing which my goal was to race to get points for world cup races um like qualifying points I would focus all my energy on that and that would literally take all my focus away from riding the actual track in front of me you know, when people say focus on the process, not the outcome, that's literally what I'm trying to say. Like, um, a lot of people focus too much on the result they want or how they want to ride a stage or basically factors outside of their control. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas I'm now switched my focus completely to just focus on things that I can control, which is basically just the track in front of me. It sounds really, really like, um, not you know it just sounds too simple too basic but yeah um you'll like if you listen to a lot of like i've listened to a lot of podcasts of guys recently on on some other shows and um i think it was greg williamson that said actually he was another strong downer from scotland he said the same thing like um he would used to try the the moment he cracked it when he started getting results in downhill racing was the moment he started to learn to ride inside his own head because um, he used to always just try and go as fast as he could, crash his brains out, and wonder why all these guys could go so fast and he couldn't. And it wasn't until he backed it down a gear and focused on, you know, mm. r- focusing on riding inside his own head that he started to actually get quicker on his bike and get the results that he's that he's known for now. Um, yeah, but it's the mental yeah. side of things. I mean. I don't know what like percentage you could put it down to, like bike, you know, actual riding and the mental side of things. But I think the mental side almost is 
probably more important than actual riding in terms of because take your confidence for example and Amanda's a good example any any rider's a good example of this but um whenever someone is more co- you know gets more confident the bike skill improves and, and you know it's just like a a a, a snowball effect which keeps getting bigger and bigger like that your mm. confidence improves your bike skill improves your bike skill improves your confidence improves and just keeps going and going yeah it's interesting because i was going to ask you about self-confidence actually and if that played a large part in your performance mm. yeah so like i wouldn't like i'm racing to me racing does like i racing's in i don't want to like i've done racing for a long time and absolutely love it and would want to say that i want to make a career of it one day which is why we're doing these ews races and whatnot um but when it comes to self-confidence um i'm at the stage now where i'm not really i'm not really too worried about what other people think or what other people are doing which is another thing that used to hold me back again goes back to not trying to control something that is completely out of your control so mm-hmm. like i would i used to be able to i used to get so worked up about other people uh in terms of like how fast they were right like comparing myself to other people um focusing on how other people were setting their bikes up and thinking oh should i do that um maybe if someone said something about a line on the track that i hadn't done or hadn't practiced properly then i'd be thinking about that uh and it all just all these little tiny things just pull you away from the main the main task mm-hmm. at hand, which is just riding riding the track in front of you and focus on the process um but i'm at a point now where you know mountain biking is i don't know it's you know it's important to me it's fun but it's not the be all and end all like it matters but it's you know we, at the end of the day it is just mountain biking we we all just do it for fun um yeah so that i think that is that's what we're saying before about keeping the fun in it which is how i do it which is basically not placing too much importance on it as well yeah no i think it's a good way to go go about it and it might make you faster who knows (laughs) yeah yeah, like some people are completely different some people are literally like you go to a race and you'll never get any anywhere close to these people like you you know they they're so focused that they spend all their time in the race on their own, you know, um, and you won't get anywhere, you know, you won't be able to socialize them because they're so focused on what they want to achieve. And yeah, for some people that is how they perform well at races, but other people, they just literally try and have a laugh with it and they still do equally as well. But it's just, you know, two different kettles of kettles of people have a deal with things. Yeah. Uh, I always find that interesting. Like, I always still I'm always I always try and learn from people. There's so much to learn from other people and how they do things. I'm always trying to learn from the top even like the top races, trying to pick and learn from people on my level around me. Um and just to see, you know, where I can learn things and adapt it to what I'm already doing, just improve my own own riding. Yeah, and do you have a race day morning routine? A race day morning routine. Um, do you know what? I I don't have a race day morning routine as such that I follow like religiously. <clears throat> like we, I try, if I'm at a, an important race, so like an EWS or whatever, we try and prep the bike and sort as much as we can out the night before or in advance so then we're not waking up in the morning like, crap, I need to sort the bike out, I need to do X, Y, and Z, which <clears throat> just, take so much energy out of you straight away and obviously enduro is a sport of trying to manage your energy and trying to keep as much reserves in the tank 
so usually we'll just wake up normal time um have a have quite a good breakfast not not relatively anything out the norm <clears throat> just try and keep things the same as usual so like religiously me and amanda have the same i've had the same breakfast now for i'm, I'm on the opposite of me now probably like two or three years oh literally we have <laughs> like poached eggs on toast most mornings with some avocado or something has it um sometimes well most of the mornings now i'll have that with like a small bowl a small cup of oats and that's that's literally me every single day and um, doesn't matter if i'm doing a race or if i'm going mm-hmm. going to the coffee shop to do some work it's still always the same because i know that's what helps me perform the best yeah so you stick to your normal routine you don't change it up for race day or anything like that you just no. stick with what you know yeah you stick yeah i wouldn't go changing anything whatsoever yeah okay now let's chat a wee bit quickly just about mechanical issues and stuff as a privateer really and you know as guys wanting to maybe get into it and haven't done it before and and how they're going to have to look after their own equipment and stuff so i'm sure it could get pretty hectic between stages um if you've had a mechanical issue and you need to change something in your bike do you have time to do that between stages or does it hold you back how do you kind of how do you kind of prep for that almost good question um i don't think you can you can't really fully prep for it i mean if something if when it comes to enduro um you can do certain preparations but obviously you can't you can't rule out everything from going wrong like mechanical wise um obviously you can carry you can carry spares around, which is a great start. Most pros, most people who race in juries will carry spares, whether they carry that in a bag or just on themselves in like a, <clears throat> you know, somewhere concealed is, you know, it's like rider's preference. Um, yeah, because in, in an enduro, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but an enduro, if you have something, an issue with your bike on the stage you have to do the mechanics stuff yourself up the mountain you can't have somebody come up and do that for you yeah you can't have outside assistance so right um you've got to you know you've got to think about in advance of what to take and how to prepare so when it comes to enduro um like i what goes in my bag when i go racing enduro um i usually take one probably if an ews i probably take two tubes around with me um i'll probably take a um tubeless like a tubeless plug just in case mm-hmm. um a set of tire levers have, like a multi-tool that's got a chain tool on it um and it's got a spare split link as well on there for the chain mm-hmm. uh what else have been like oh little pump um two co2 canisters um and obviously nutrition supplies and i recently just got actually this is what i didn't have at the ews last time which i had god knows how many mechanicals there it was like a bit of a letdown but it was also a big eye-opener for me like um i i've now got some tire inserts in as well in my wheels so the it's basically just like a piece of how if you like it's like an over expensive an overpriced piece of pipe lagging yeah, <laughs> like, i've seen that actually this is for the tubeless this is if you're running tubeless yeah yeah it's, it was it was quite yeah. it was quite hard to get them in get them on the tire on the wheel sorry but they basically just cushions um it's supposed to minimize you know uh, flat tires when you're running tubeless like a tubeless system so we'll be running those the next ews and we'll see how they go but you know from the people i've heard and people around them they seem to have quite good reviews and, and 
you know, they're quite, you know, they reduce mechanical failures on the tyres and stuff, which is in enduro, which is the the main thing really. That's what you've got to do to to, to perform well and do well. You have to <clears throat> first of all make sure your bike will actually get through the weekend. Um, like you can only have like one set of wheels, one frame, one set of forks. So you've got to obviously make them last. Um, mm. And I, I think there's a, you know in mountain biking there's a there's a you know there's a crowd of people that will. <clears throat> try and make their bike as light as possible and to, you know, save weight, which means you'll go faster, blah, 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 which I, I get to an extent, but when it comes to enduro, you're already carrying all the, well, potentially carrying all these spares, which, and water, which adds weight anyway. Um, so I wouldn't even bother trying to skimp on having lightweight parts or lightweight tires, because at the end of the day, your bike's still going to make it round the four, potentially five days of riding you're going to do. So, mm-hmm you know, going for the more heavy duty stuff like downhill tires, um, maybe thinking about going tubeless. Uh, what else do you think about that's heavy duty, like just like heavier duty rims and spokes, just basically something that's going to hold up. Um, yeah. So you would go for more, um, stuff that would last rather than the lightest and the best yeah. and the most expensive, you know, more, more durable stuff. Really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That that's interesting. So, Alex, do you need to be a good mechanic if you're a privateer when you're doing all this kind of stuff yourself? Um, or is that something if you have an issue, can you take your bike to somebody in the pits area, for lack of a better word, that that will maybe look after your bike between stages or between the days racing or anything like that? Um, I think. Some most of the time when you EWS is you're not allowed to take your bike back to the like pits and have outside, you know, help. However, there is some. I think like the last EWS I was at, there was about a thirty minute break between stages that the transition went through the the pit, so you were able to stop for half an hour and add some food and sort bikes out. And you know, at these some of these races, they have big like you know the big SRAM trucks there, so you can go and get assistance from them. Um, but oh, yeah, so um, I think usually when you're out racing, it is literally no outside assistance. You've got to sort everything yourself out. But to be honest with you, like when you're out on the trip, like that's the thing that we found with enduro. Like it's the first sport I've done. Well, compared to downhill, it's almost like a it's quite a family sport. You know, everyone's in. Everyone knows they're in it together. So you know, if if uh, you know if you ask, you know, if you have a mechanical on the trail, say. Um, the chances are someone potentially might stop to help you fix it or, you know, help you make sure you get back on the bike or whatever it is, which I think is quite cool. Rather there's, you know, it's not just like, you know, just look after yourself sort of thing. It's, uh, mm-hmm. making sure everyone gets through the whole weekend if you like. So yeah, I quite like that aspect of it as well. You know, our riders are always willing to help out each other, which is great. Great camaraderie. Well, that's, that's very cool. Yeah, that, that's very cool. Um, so I've taken up enough of your time, um, and uh, I know you've probably your bike to go and sort right <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, but for just let's chat to you about now and the future and stuff. So how has your season been going so far? How's our season been going so far? Um, well, we agreed at the start of the season that we would just have this as like a a season that we would see what would happen in terms of like I I have no expectations whatsoever. 
Um, it would nice to it would be nice to see as my EWS like season goes on to see that I'm taking from each last stage and learning from it and then applying what I've learned and seeing my results improve. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like we haven't, um, you know, we've done some other races as well. There's did a super enduro in San Remo, which was, um, again, it was just a, a, a weekend of chaos in terms of punches and stuff like that, uh, which seems to be like the story of my life at the minute. Um, but I'm hoping with these tire inserts and a bit better, more focus on my setup of the bike and stuff, things will start to change. Um, but yeah, at the, at the minute we've got not really any massive expectations are just literally seeing where the performance i'm at now is putting me in the positions and stuff and yeah mm-hmm. and seeing if we yeah, want to carry on doing it cool and where has been your <laughs> favorite sport yet you've you've visited um this year or yeah this year i'll tell you what last so i've never been to slovenia before and if i'm hoping the ews is something like last weekend's race in it we went to a place called Rus, which is just down the road from maribor where they used to have some of the downhill world cups and the ride in there literally blew my mind how good it was it was literally it was such a small race in a small place but i've never ridden riding i i would compare that to riding like going to whistler or to canada it was absolutely amazing wow. loved it there and uh where else did they enjoy um even just the, like the ews was something else last the last ews in olags in um in france was something else like those you could i could quite happily go there on a mountain bike holiday and spend weeks there like exploring the trails like it was the place there was unbelievable and the trails were just out of this world yeah and that would is that quite steep and takey um I wouldn't say it was, you know, there were steep parts of the trails there, but it wasn't overall like a steep place. Um, you know, there were technical sections on the track, but um, obviously the speed you ride it, I think, makes as to how technical a track can sometimes be. Um, mm. But yeah, they're like, you know, just typical French tracks, like flat out and then tight French turns, which obviously the French are known for doing really well. Which is depressing <laughs> to watch because they're so good at it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah cool so before i let you go if somebody's thinking of doing something similar to yourself and amanda there or even thinking of maybe getting sprucing their van up and going away for a long weekend to do something would you advise they they get themselves sorted and, and enter an enduro and, and get into that side of things is it something really enjoyable to do yeah for sure definitely like i would definitely I would definitely like dip your toes in the water and see if it's something you, you know, you want to do. But I, if you enter a smaller race abroad, you know, it can be almost like going out riding with your mates outside of a race because you're not getting timed on the transitions and you're just right. If you know, it feels like you're literally riding around with your mates. Um, so, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, I'll just take it from there and see where it goes from there. Um, so how can people keep up to date with what you are doing there and, and how it's going for you, Alex? Uh, best, probably the best place to keep up to date with what we're doing is uh, on the YouTube channel, which is just Wolfpack Adventures, or obviously Instagram, which is um, at Alex Holoko, which I guess you could maybe put in the show notes. 
yeah, yeah, sure <laughs> it's not a baller, mate, not a baller. And I'll put, uh, because I know you, you get um, help with sponsors and stuff there as well, so we'll stick all that in oh, thank you. the show notes as, as well, because it all helps. Well, here, thanks so much for coming on the show, and I really hope you enjoy the rest of your time on the road there, and you have less punctures, because Amanda did mention you had a bit of a nightmare about punctures. Yeah, it was an absolute nightmare. Absolutely not. <laughs> Hopefully it'll change though, and I've had an absolute ball talking to you, mate. It's been brilliant to have you on, and you know, I know people, and I know the listeners are going to get a lot of info from this because if you go to look at starting some of these races, it's hard to get info there that you just know what to do, like an ABC. This is what you do. Yeah. Um. So thanks so much for coming on and explaining that so well. I, I really appreciate no it. No worries. No worries. All right. Take care on the trails, mate, and um. I, uh, I will follow your adventures on YouTube, no bother. All the best. Take care. See you. Bye. Well, folks, I hope that has helped your mission to find out more about how to enter an enduro race and has obviously stoked your passion to get out there and do that. And I just want to say congratulations to Glenn O'Brien, who won the Dava Enduro again uh, the past weekend, of course. The man's a machine on a bike. You know what I mean? He just, I don't know, it's a term, he's a Terminator on the trails, that fella. But congratulations to Glenn. Congratulations to everybody, to Michael Regan, who organises the Dava Enduro. Awesome job again, Michael. Well done. And to all the competitors, awesome. I know everybody had a great day up there, so well done, everybody, and thanks for supporting that race at Dava it was great to look at all the photos and see everything that was going on so well done guys well well done so thanks folks for listening to this week's episode if you want to find out a wee bit more if you want a wee bit more insight into the MTB Tribe podcast you can subscribe just go to mtb-tribe.com subscribe there you'll get an email every week just letting you know who's coming on the show and a little synopsis of what it's all about Um, I won't bombard you with emails so you don't have to worry about that and if you want to check us out on socials you can do instagram is at mtb tribe and facebook is mtb tribe you can catch up with what's going on there and um, that's about it folks for this week so thanks so much for tuning in i hope you enjoyed the episode please pass on to friends please let your friends and your writing buddies know about the podcast and i will have more interesting info for you next week on the mtb tribe podcast and if you're out in the trails over the next few days guys just take care enjoy yourself